Our gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Matthew. I'll be reading from chapter 3. Listen to God's holy word. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent! The kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, even these stones, from these stones, God could raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Highland, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Come, holy peace, child. Come and be born among us. Amen. I want to talk this morning about dignity. It's a word that we use to describe respect. It's a more formal word in the English language that inspires us to appreciation and can even lead to an elevated rank, both literally and in our thinking. It may also have a royal connotation. Think of how dignified Princess Diana was. Or think about how dignified Michelle Obama is, especially in her speeches and even her fashion statements. Sometimes it's easier to think about dignity in terms of its opposite meaning. Ellen DeGeneres has a hilarious stand-up routine that includes a series of ways we humans frequently embarrass ourselves. And while I'm tempted to reenact her comedy for you, I will spare you. But I do crack up every time when she names that feeling of waving excitedly to somebody just to realize you don't really know them. (laughs) Right? You know this feeling. And this is a shallow example of feeling undignified, isn't it? And while we can laugh at ourselves, and it's good to laugh at ourselves, really one's dignity is no laughing matter. More harrowing examples of a loss of dignity could be a drunk relative at a wedding reception, or acting undignified in our dreams when we show up overexposed in important, serious situations. You know these feelings, don't you? Often a lack of dignity might cause us to not only feel embarrassed, but worse, shame. Let's look at John the Baptist. 
wearing camel hair, eating locusts and wild honey, emerging from the Judean wilderness, looking like a man who has no house, unkempt and rambling on about repentance to anyone who will stop and listen. Onlookers may have wondered about his dignity. Has he any? And then John, in his supposed lack of dignity, we might think, has the audacity to call out the religious scholars, the dignified ones, He calls them a brood of vipers. Imagine this heightening the crowd's discomfort and ripening the air with tension. Let's pause and note one thing, however. Matthew's gospel was for the Jewish community. Matthew himself was a Jew, and he paid close attention to the needs of his community. Matthew wrote his stories from the perspective of the underdog, we might say. First century Palestine was under the military occupation of the Roman Empire. Jewish people were subject to unfair laws, restricted social levels, and somewhat closeted religious expression. Picture Rome with all the dignity, flouting around the city with their soldiers in golden uniforms and the Senate dignitaries in their fine white robes. It's into this scene of elitism An undignified John arrives pointing fingers at both the leaders in his own community as well as Rome. I wonder if Roman officials laughed and scoffed at him, refusing to take him seriously. But I also wonder, as we wait this Advent season on this Peace Sunday for the coming Christ child, with whose dignity is God more concerned? Those in positions of great power or those who are suppressed by that power. I invite us to consider another way that dignity has been denied. As I continue to process still the Alabama Civil Rights Pilgrimage and the exhibits at the Legacy Museum, I think part of what makes that museum such a challenge to encounter And what makes it so utterly uncomfortable and even despairing is that visitors encounter firsthand how white enslavers sought to strip the dignity of enslaved people. To see photos of young people bearing the brutality of evil punishments and to hear voices of enslaved women singing spirituals while they work in the fields, it has the potential to completely unmoor the museum patron. It's very overwhelming. It's terrible. And church, I know this is uncomfortable, but I want you to consider some contemporary forms of indignity too. Let's remember this morning when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri a few years ago and his body was left uncovered in the summer street for more than four hours. Or think about how the police officer who suffocated George Floyd had his knee on his neck for over nine minutes. Where is the dignity? In her book, This Here Flesh, Cole Arthur Riley writes a lot about dignity. She writes, the origin story of the world and the dark and the stars that hold it is one of dignity. The divine is in us. I'm going to say that again. The divine is in us. She goes on to ask, how can anyone who is made to bear likeness to the maker of the cosmos be anything less than glory? This is inherent dignity. 
She argues that while oppressors might try to steal someone's dignity by seeing them as subhuman or lower than themselves, dignity cannot be taken. One person cannot rob another of their dignity. It is the limitation of the human expression that we cannot deny someone else their dignity. Dignity is God's glory, and God's glory, Riley writes, God's glory cannot be unborn. Jesus ran a ministry of dignity preservation, dignity uplifting, dignity redefining, and it is to this ministry that John the Baptist calls the people. It's not just any old prophet walking the streets who is to come, John says. This coming one will baptize you with spirit and fire. He will clear your lives of the chaff so that your wheat can grow strong. It's purification and it's invocation. And John takes things a step further by calling the religious leaders out of the rights of Jewish identity into advocacy. At the outset, it might sound condemnatory, but I think John has a different intent. When he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance, in the same breath he admonishes the religious leaders to stop making presumptions about who is in the kingdom And who is out? Who is an heir to Abraham's blessed covenant with God and who is not? Who is worthy of salvation and who is not? Who has dignity and who does not? Stop the boundaries of the sacred and the profane, preaches John. John proclaims that the coming prophet will make wide the kingdom of God so that Jews and Gentiles alike can partake in the acts of salvation. For even from stone, God can raise up children of Abraham. And John goes on to say that even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, we might hear John saying, I've had enough with your thoughts and prayers. It's time to put some action behind your words and bear good fruit. That's what matters now. Preserve the dignity of God's people. Pass some laws. Protect the vulnerable folks in your cities. Keep safe our kids. Love fiercely our LGBTQ community. We may even hear John say, if he were out in our front line among the crosses this morning, You don't need more police in your schools. You don't need more guns on the streets. You need therapists and social workers and mental health professionals and family resource coordinators and healthy food and decent textbooks and functioning computers and books that are no longer banned and all the things in this country that let people know of their worth, of their dignity, of their position to receive the grace of the one who comes to baptize with the spirit and fire. Mary Alice already told us that we are getting ready to place more than 150 crosses on the lawn this year to signify the murders in our city. And isn't it bizarre and gut-wrenching that most of us live so far from the realities of this violence in our city that we remain largely unaffected by it. 
And I don't say these things to make us feel guilty or like we've done something bad. Instead, hear me speaking with a deep lament on behalf of each of us. If salvation moves beyond boundaries and preserves the dignity of all God's people, then we must keep asking God and one another the question that I hear us here at Highland asking often, what is ours to do? Where is the glory of God being shut up or shut out? How do we bear fruit? How do we help John the Baptist and Jesus bring the opportunity for repentance and baptism and salvation to Louisville's Metro City Council, to JCPS headquarters, to the White House, to the court system, and to America's criminal justice system? How is John the Baptist calling out to Highland Baptist? Again, it is an invitation. It is an invocation to respond to this epidemic of gun violence in America? What chaff needs burning so that the wheat, the dignity of God's people can grow? What trees will be chopped down so that new life can spring up? What reminders do we need to believe truly that like Maya Angelou says in her Christmas poem, peace is louder than the explosion of bombs? then why still can we not hear it? The violence is deafening. I close with this. Over the Rhine is an indie rock band that started in Cincinnati back in the early 90s. Their concerts were a solid part of my teenage years. I still follow them because they are still making good music. Listen to their rendition of my favorite Christmas carol. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above the dark and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth thy everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The lamp-lit streets of Bethlehem, we walk now through the night. There is no peace in Bethlehem. There is no peace in sight. The wounds of generations are almost too deep to heal. They scar the time-worn miracle and make it seem surreal. The baby in the manger grew to a man one day. But still, we tried to listen up to what he had to say. Put up your swords forever. Forgive your enemies. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let your little children come to me. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy dark and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Come, holy child of peace. Come and be born among us. Amen. Amen.